Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revelle. Well, Dennis, this week we've got a, a very interesting insight into the world of the Speedway Grand Prix. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Cameron Kelleher, who is the Communications and PR Manager of Motorsport at IMG over there in London. I guess our listeners, uh, Craig, uh, would be very, very interested uh, about the makeup of the Speedway Grand Prix. And I really uh, want to ask him a couple of questions about where Australia sits um, in their future plans. Does he ever see it coming back to Australia? A multitude of questions that you and I want to ask him. So that will be something that uh, I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy talking to Cameron Kelleher. Yeah. Just on a, a little piece of news before we kick off, we've seen some interesting uh, developments in Speedway where uh, we've seen a couple of calendars released for the 2020, uh, yeah, 2021 season. I'm uh, interested to get your thoughts. Uh, do you think it's a bit early even to be making uh, those sort of predictions in the way the world is? Well, I was a bit surprised, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but um, but I guess uh, going onto the front foot, um, I, I know two two tracks straight away. One, well, I'm, I'm involved with both, but one closely in particular is Lismore, putting way with David Lander. And I was talking to him last week, and uh, we were talking about that very subject. And uh, he needs to get it planned. He just says, well, look, if, if we, we're going to be running, well, we have to have everything in place well in advance. And um, the same with the other tracks, of course, Valvoline Raceway. They've, they've also announced their calendar for the upcoming season. Um, only time will tell if it's the right move. Um, there are indications that um, towards the end of the year, things are going to start to get back to normal. And... Uh, I guess we can only live in hope, um, but at least as David Lander probably best summed it up, he said it's better to be prepared, have everything in place when we are ready to go rather than leaving it for too late because in, you know, in both cases, they've both got big seasons and they want to get it formulated. Yeah, and it, it does then allow the competitors to go, all right, if this does go racing, here's where I'm going to be running, and particularly for uh, local competitors, track competitors that uh, do tend to uh, centralise themselves just at the, the one or two circuits in their local geographic area, they go, all right, I know I'm not doing anything else this year, so let's start preparing the car, and if it goes well, then we'll be on at this date ne- at the end of the year. And so yep. in some ways, it, perhaps it gives a bit of uh, encouragement that Speedway is going to continue in their area. Well, it's, it's taking a positive approach and uh, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. So let's hope it all becomes reality towards the end of the year, Craig. Mm. Well, after the break, we find out more about the Speedway Grand Prix and when it might restart here on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au, iTunes, Spotify, 
and thedirttrackchannel.com. Joined now by the communications and PR manager of motorsport at IMG, based out of the north of London, Cameron Kelleher. It's great to have you on the show, Cameron. Hi, Craig. Uh, thank you, and uh, good to join you. That's a mouthful, and it doesn't really mention what you're looking at and uh, what your specialties are, which at the moment is the Speedway Grand Prix and uh, the associated events in and around what uh, we get to enjoy every year at the international speedway level. And also you're into the rally cross and the rally sports as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so the, the IMG motorsport portfolio has um, two key strands to it at the moment. One is um, uh, Speedway Grand Prix and obviously Speedway of Nations under the uh, BSI Speedway banner, which most people would be familiar with. And um, we also uh, manage the rights for the FAA World Rallycross uh, Championship. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a busy time on, on two and four wheels, really. It's a crazy time too because – everything stopped right at the point where I imagine that it was becoming the busiest point to uh, get things started. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, I don't think anybody uh, foresaw um, the coronavirus outbreak um, and more importantly, the, you know, the impact it's had on, uh, on sport in general and, and, and motorsport um, in, in particular. Um, yes, we were looking to go racing um, in, in April, May, um, clearly we are taking advice, uh, at every turn from, uh, governments, individual governments in terms of mass gatherings and, um, outside sports and so forth and restrictions on, on, uh, travel. So it's impacted heavily on us, um, just like it has with other, other global sports. So, um, at the moment, the, the calendar is quite fluid, uh, we're looking to uh, postpone and rearrange events across um, Speedway and, and Rallycross, as are other motorsport categories and other sports for that matter. Um, so until such time as we have a clear directive from um, various governments and health advisors and, and scientists who are all in the mix, um, you know, there's no racing uh, for now. Um, I think our best hope at this stage, uh, much like uh, – you know, Formula One and other categories is to is to go racing at the back end of July, August as a best case scenario. Uh, but obviously, that has an impact as well into you know the extension of the calendar into um, you know October, November, December in some cases. So um, our our desire is to go racing, um, and we're doing everything humanly possible. Um, to go racing, but obviously we have to respect the wishes of uh, of governments and and health departments and, and so forth. And and ultimately, um, you know, our decisions are based on the health and well being of, of everybody concerned. Now, in Australia, the winter the winter sports is circuit racing, and at the moment they're trying to they're trying to put their calendar together. Just dealing with one government, how do you go? trying to deal with the, uh, what is it, 10 or it'd probably be eight different governments that you have to uh, deal with to be able to cross borders and to be able to race each of the Grand Prix in their, in their locations? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Um, and it's driven really by the, the respective impact that uh, COVID-19 has had in individual 
territories that we visit. So, uh, you know, as an example, uh, in Poland, there's been a ban on outdoor gatherings, uh, which was introduced on the 20th of April, and that is until further notice. Um, in the case of Germany, um, events have been uh, suspended until the end of uh, end of August. Um, in other parts of the world, um, we know we've just learnt that, for instance, the French Grand Prix has been cancelled outright. Um, the Monaco Grand Prix has been cancelled outright. Um, thankfully, we haven't had um, can cancellations, although we have restructured our Speedway of Nations um, schedule um, so that we've moved from um, we've moved those events to semi-finals in particular to September um, and we've uh, luckily had the assistance of um, the Latvian government to enable that to happen um, and also you know we've um, we've been talking to um, the city of Manchester uh, in in Great Britain to enable us to to run the final uh, or at least schedule the final for October um, so it is it is challenging and it's it's not a one-size-fits-all either it's it's individual directives based on the severity of the impact of, of COVID-19 in individual countries that, that is driving the decisions. Um, Cameron, it's Dennis Newland here. I'd just, just like to get your take on the Australian side of the Speedway Grand Prix. Now, <clears throat> it's had a pretty checkered existence in Australia, tracing right back to the very first attempt in October 2002 by promoter David Lander, who hired the Sydney Olympic Stadium and put it on in there. And over the years, it is fair to say it hasn't worked in Australia and even New Zealand for that matter. What needs to be done, a sort of a two-part question here, do you ever see it coming back to Australia? If so, what needs to be done to make it work in Australia? Uh, well, I can answer the first question very easily. Uh, as an Aussie, uh, absolutely, um, I'd like to see it go back to to Australia. And and as a um, speaking as a as a representative of the rights holder, and in our desire to offer the best possible product we can, and and to attract as many fans as we can across a a broader range of territories as we can, absolutely, Australia um, is on our uh, on our list of uh, targeted territories um, and that's not to dismiss the fact that you know we've had um, a, a rich tradition of, uh, of of Australians competing in the sport both as riders and uh, you know in support um, I think the issue as with most other categories and most other territories is um, quite often it relies on um, commitment from governments in terms of um, helping out with the hosting fee and the commercial sector. And I think when those two things come together, um, as we've seen with the Australian Grand Prix, the Formula One Grand Prix, you know, the assistance of um, Vic government um, events, uh, the federal government to a lesser extent, Qantas and another ra a raft of commercial or national commercial uh, entities, uh, um, these things happen. In the case of Speedway, uh, unfortunately, um, you know those um, uh, uh, those things haven't come together, um, uh, which is a shame. But um, you know, until such time as as, as those uh, those worlds collide, uh, you know, I don't think that we'll be racing in in Australia uh, in the very near future. But we're certainly working towards um, 
that being the case? Quite obviously, with the rounds in, in the Northern Hemisphere and particularly throughout Europe, the, the countries are all very, very, well, neighbouring countries, but you, you've got to travel a long way and that involves cost to get it into Australia and New Zealand. Um, and, I, and in a lot of the cases, the last attempt was down in Melbourne at Etihad Stadium. And as I understand it, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this, I think it was originally a five-year agreement but it only got three. So do you see IMG, BSI taking a, a greater control in actually being the promoters of this? Because in, in previous attempts, it's been done by independent promoters and bringing the, the Grand Prix down under. Yeah, um, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, obviously there are several revenue streams um, associated with with any event, um, sponsorship, ticket sales um, being two of the key drivers, um, and then you know often that's offset, as I said before, by by national um, or regional government support and the commercial sector. Um, I think there's a limit to what a rights holder can do uh, in some cases to uh, take on the promotion of, a, of an individual event. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, in, in, if I'm being uh, brutally honest about it, uh, the numbers need to stack up. Um, and if they don't stack up, then there would be a reluctance on the part of a, a rights holder to um, – Take full custody of that event. It's that, that's no no different to what happens in um, in other motorsport categories. So uh, yeah, I, I think you know without labouring the point, I, I think the fact of the matter is that the commercial sector in Australia needs to get behind it, and and the government needs to find some funding within its events uh, portfolio to to make it happen. The uh, the obvious uh, country that I would imagine you've you're obviously looking at or considering into the future would be America. How serious or how much is that on the radar going into the future, America? Oh, I think in, I think it's um, expansion in general <clears throat> is on the radar. If you look at the the current concentration of uh, speedway activity uh, at a world level. Um, there's a heavy concentration in um, in Europe, and in particular, um, you know, the Polish league is very strong. Uh, most of the riders involved in um, Speedway Grand Prix now ply their trade um, in Poland. Um, so there's a very healthy uh, competition going in that particular area. Um, obviously, we would like to expand the horizons of of Speedway into uh, other territories. America being one. Um, you know, we've had discussions with the potential of going to, um, you know, places like South Africa, um, you know, South America, uh, the Americas in general. Um, but, but again, it depends on the appetite uh, among the individual promoters in those territories. And, and, and again, it comes back to, you know, commercial involvement and government funding make those uh, make those events happen but uh, yeah to answer your question America is definitely um, on the radar for expansion to follow on your point there Cameron time zones when you're working in and around Europe you're within a, a window and as this is a, an evening event um, 
you're still in the evening no matter which part of Europe you're in. When you're coming to Australia, that must throw around, you know, viewing times and, and all those aspects which make it very difficult to sell at that end as well as what you have, what has to be done to promote it here to a local uh, crowd. No, absolutely. You know, um, broadcast is a key component of uh, um, of revenue generation for for sport in general, and and Speedway is no different. So, so, yeah, there is a challenge in going to a time zone which is not necessarily European friendly, when the bulk of um, um, your fan base uh, at this point, at least, following Speedway Grand Prix is, um, as I said, is is European based. So um, that is a challenge, um, and it and it takes some convincing um, for broadcasters to be able to to get involved in screening something that happens um, twelve thousand miles away. Um, you know, in the middle of the of the night or, um, you know, in a time zone that's not necessarily socially friendly. So yes, that is a, that is a challenge. Um, but I guess, um, you know, there are instances where, um, timing of events can be altered to, to better suit different time zones. And that's something that we would definitely consider. You've been in this role now for about a, a, a year, almost a year and a half, let's say, did you come straight into IMG working on the Speedway Grand Prix, or is this something you picked up this year? Um, yeah, it's um, it was an inheritance, if you like, as part of the overall management of the motorsport portfolio. My background, uh, as you probably know, is um, is in motorsport and, uh, and Formula One in particular, and GT racing and other forms of of motorsport um, in um, well four wheel motorsport uh, across Europe and, and the US. Um, also had some involvement with MotoGP and superbikes as well. Um, so Speedway, I've always had a passion for. I remember when Dad used to take me to ro- good old Rolly Park in Adelaide uh, many years ago, and um, we would watch uh, the likes of uh, John Bolger and then uh, latterly. Uh, um, you know, Phil Crump uh, and and Ivan Major and a few of those um, superstars from yesteryear. So Speedway and motorsport has always um, coursed through my veins, um, whether that's two or four wheels. Um, obviously, moving from Australia to the UK to set up home, um, uh, there was a shift from from two wheels to four, um, you know, Speedway in Australia um, has multiple categories in terms of cars and bikes. In in, in the UK, it's predominantly bikes, um, although there's, you know, there's other forms of racing and uh, stock cars and so forth. But, um, yeah, I've I've always um, been a huge fan of um, of motorsport, so it's, it's kind of a dream for me to be working in a motorsport environment. Um, some people call it work. Um, I call it fun. <laughs> so one of the changes that was uh, predominant this year was the fact that you once again reduced down the number of people who qualified through last year. I think uh, now I'm working off memory, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we normally saw the eight highest score point scorers from the previous year automatically transfer in. This year it moved to six and uh, there's a bit more qualification. What was the thinking behind those sort of changes? Uh, it was really just to bring a sharper focus to, to the show. I mean, uh, you know, we're looking, we're always looking for ways to innovate and to um, 
bring more dynamism to to an event, um, Speedway or you know Rallycross for that matter. Um, so we felt that it was a way of um, just bringing a sharper focus to, to the competition aspect of of a Speedway event. Um, and and I, you know we hope it's um, it's something that the fans of um, have welcomed and, and feel as a, as a worthwhile introduction. Does it also help with changing of the guard, as it were? The, the hottest, youngest properties have got more opportunities to, to work their way in, whereas uh, the older guys who might always score well either have to, you know, win it or bin it, if you like, to make sure they've got the points to, to be at the sharper edge of the field. Yeah, that that's actually a very good point, and that's a discussion we we had with the uh, with the governing body, the FIM. You know, how can we look to bring on the younger guys that are coming through? Um, so there's a couple of initiatives that we have uh, coming up, but certainly there was an element of that you know, behind our thinking with the restructuring and the qualifying. I guess um, Cameron, when all this. Uh Started back in um, in the mid nineties, nineteen ninety five. Coming from a traditional aspect of the sport, of course, uh, the the one off World Finals. Uh, we're going right back in time, admittedly, here at London's Wembley Stadium, or Ulevi uh, in Gothenburg, Sweden, or Raslav in Poland. The yearly one off World Finals. This was a whole new change, a vision by Ollie Olsen, quite obviously. Um, from what you've heard over those years of setting the pattern going into the future, was it was it difficult? Um, I know it was before your time, but what's probably what I'm trying to the question I want to ask is how it's been moulded. What's been the most rewarding aspect of the Grand Prix, and now you've taken control of it, as far as the running of it. Um, what do you feel is the best asset for the Grand Prix? Um, I think it's um, – we've taken it from being um, a motorsport event, um, in this particular case Speedway, to to more of a show. So, um, you know, the introduction of, you know, pyrotechnics and uh, rider parades, we do a lot of work. Um, before we actually get to the stadium. So in Cardiff, for instance, we have a massive fan zone, uh, you know, that attracts um, up to 10,000 people two or three days before the event takes off. So it was it was looking for ways that we could give back, if you like, to the cities that are hosting these events by doing uh, more community engagement and more fan engagement um, outside the stadium. And then once we got to the stadium is to look at how we could, um, improve the show um, from the point of view that you would come along and sit in your seat and watch uh, a bunch of guys riding around a track. What else can we do to entertain you while you're there? Um, you know, big, big Bass Cricket has gone the same way and is actually doing an outstanding job in that regard. Um, and if we felt that if we could do that, we would attract a younger demographic, which is, you know, the future of the sport. Um, I worked quite closely with um, with Torben Olsen, um, Ollie's son, who was with um, IMG up until um, the back end of last year, and he kind of carried on his dad's vision um, from from the offset. So, um, you know, Torben was also very heavily involved in in um, track design as well. Um, 
So we feel like we've improved the show. Um, we, and we've kind of embraced the wider entertainment aspect of, um, uh, of Speedway. Um, and so it's not just, like I said, it's not just about um, the racing aspect. It's about the entertainment aspect. Um, and, and it's geared towards engaging, you know, younger audiences um, along the way. I guess too, um, Cameron, being a, being a television production, you obviously have to work closely with the host broadcaster, but it's also time restraints as well. It is a television show uh, in addition to a speedway racing event. How difficult is it to work with the host broadcaster when you take it to a specific, specific country? What are their demands and what are the Grand Prix organisers' demands? Uh, I think they all have their, you know, parochial interests at heart, uh, and that's quite natural. If you go to Poland um, uh, or go to Prague or, um, you know, um, you know, go to Togete, uh in Russia, uh, clearly they would want to focus on on their homegrown heroes, and that's that's understandable. But in terms of um, the actual uh, production. Uh, IMG Media, our, our broadcast arm, are heavily involved in in, in the production of the, of the show around uh, each Speedway event. So we work um, cheek to jowl with, um, with with local producers, um, and, and the the idea is that you know we are producing and broadcasting a global show. Um, it's not um, it's not a local show. It's not it's not localized in terms of focusing only on uh, local talent. It's it's about a global uh, mix of, of riders. So um, we have our uh, frank discussions, I guess it's fair to say, from time to time. But but at the end of the day, you know, we're all working towards the same aim, which is to produce um, you know a global show, um, and, and each of those elements needs to be taken into account um, in, in those production discussions. It's not. I don't think it's as challenging as what. Um, is what maybe the perception is from the outside. No, I agree with that. I, I think the whole thing runs pretty smoothly, except except for one area that I know from um, listening to people or the feedback that I receive. And and again, it gets back to the running of the show being a quick show. When when there's a tape breakage, um, I, I I know it's kind of a not so much an annoyance, but instead of the riders going straight back around to the tape ready to do the rerun as it used to be in the old days, everyone goes back to the pit and has a bit of a talk and you know, and, and I know I know they're they're trying to get the show back on the road again, but riders are back at the pits and they're adjusting profits and all this. When it was only a tape break, in the old days everyone just goes straight back to the and the tape would come down and we'd get on with it straight away. Is that something the television producer has looked at? Because it happens every time. Yeah, um, I mean, anything that um, causes interruption or causes a break in the show is, you know, has a heavy impact because basically um, we we have a certain live window with broadcasters, and if we overrun, um, then the risk is that um, you know that the final won't be shown. So um, we do try and, where possible, limit those uh, those interruptions and, and those breaks. Uh, but you're right; it's um, <clears throat> yeah. In the good old days, it was uh, um, take break, and then they just kind of wheeled it around and then reassembled. 
Um, so uh, we try and, like I said, we try and limit <clears throat> the damage of, of um, you know, tape breaks or, or other interruptions. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, if there's a if there's a crash, then you know um, the focus has to be on the welfare and well-being of the rider or riders that are involved. And uh, unfortunately, you know, um, if that impacts on timing, then so be it. That's something that you can't really um, have control over, but. It's so important these days to um, fill your live hour with as much action as you possibly can because there's so much competition in the, in the marketplace um, for live sport that um, we have to make it as compelling as possible. Before we move on to other things, um, what I am interested in is you mentioned before about promoters needing to take you know, ownership of, of their aspects and where do you as IMG and, and the host take control of the day and where's the promoters, uh, where's those roles and how do they interchange? If you go to Voyans, obviously Ollie's track, where is Ollie's promotion and, and your work interacting and where's the demarcation, if you like? Yeah, good question. Um, it, um, to a large extent, it's a collaboration. So we have a, you know, we have a template, if you like, for the running of an event. But it's flexible enough to enable, um, you know, vagaries in in the local culture um, to be plugged into that template. So for for the running of the event um, on the night. Um, the local promoter would work off our template. They have they play a major role in the pre-event promotion of the event. Uh, we come into play from a, a regulation and, a, and an event um, flow perspective once we once we get into the stadium and we and we're going live. So um, I have to say the collaboration is is absolutely first class between between us as rights holders and individual promoters. Um, we have our differences of opinion, of course, like every, every other rights holder and promoter relationship. But you know, I'm pleased to say that we, you know, ultimately we find a middle ground because it's in the best interest of of all of us to do that, and and um, and for the benefit of the fans uh, most of all. So um, I don't know if I've asked answered your question but um yeah i think they they work off a, an overarching template a proven template that we've had in place since um since we took over speedway grand prix but there is um the ability for them to factor in individual elements that best suit their their market or their fans or their sponsors mm. now to be crude the the British Grand Prix at the uh, is it the millennial? Well, I always knew it as the Millennial Stadium at Cardiff, but it's changed names now. But it is the Monaco Grand Prix of the Speedway year. How have how do you, how do you balance that up? Saying this is our trophy race. It's right in the middle of the year. Or this sorry, this is our the marquee. It's right in the middle of the year, and and then be able to play all the other Grand Prix to that level and eventually pull it to that level as I'm sure your goal. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. I mean, I think in every um, category of motorsport, there is a Monaco Grand Prix um, and you're right to identify Cardiff um, as, as being the jewel in the crown for Speedway 
Grand Prix currently, but you know each other, each individual event has um, also has its own um, standout features. Um, we invite a lot of promoters to come to Cardiff, uh, and we spend a lot of time with them going through um, our organisational protocol. Uh, with the objective that they go away and take learnings and and where possible and where appropriate, they instill those learnings into the running of their events. Um, but by no means do we put Cardiff on a pedestal at the expense of others. Um, it's, uh, you know, as I said before, there's a, a heavy concentration of um, international riders competing in Poland and uh, the Polish speedway scene is is very important um, to the overall, uh, world mix right now. So, um, yeah, I, Cardiff doesn't get any special treatment other than the fact that because we, most of us live and work in the UK, it's, it's easier for us to, um, take the whole troop, um, contingent, if you like, down to Cardiff, as opposed to sending, um, you know, three quarters of our team to, to other events. But, that's also because we don't need to send as many people to other events because they're, they're so well run and we're reliant on, on local promoter um, crews in other events. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I think we try and be as equitable as possible in terms of focus, uh, resources, um, energy and exposure for, for the whole portfolio of events. Um, and we don't narrow focus on, on Cardiff at the expense of the others. Is Cardiff an in-house production or there is a, there is a independent promoter for that? Uh, we work closely with, um, with the, uh, local city council, uh, obviously with the millennium stadium organization with a number of other stakeholders, um, in, in the, in the region, in, in Wales. Um, by and large, we run the event but we're also reliant on uh, event specialists from within the local government and from Millennium Stadium. I mean, they um, big events are something that they're quite comfortable with when you consider that, you know, they can draw uh, somewhere between 60 and 80,000 to, um, you know, Six Nations rugby matches at, um, at the stadium. So it's not as if they, they're alien to, to big events uh, and running successful or big events. Um, so it would be remiss of us not to tap into that expertise and rely on their, their, um, their resources and their skills, um, to make that event happen. We, we, we don't have all the answers, (laughs) but is there other events that you, you are the promoter of directly other stadium events around the various countries uh, well, Speedway Nations in Manchester. Obviously, we uh, we run those uh, those events currently, um, but by and large, we're dependent on local promoters for for other events. It all comes down to the relationship with the FIA, and that can be fickle at the best of times. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, they have a they have a job to do from a um, regulatory uh, perspective, from a commercial perspective. Um, they also have the relationship with the riders, um, and they have the best interests of the, of the sport, um, at heart of, at the heart of every decision they make, I guess. Um, I'm pleased to say we have a, a good solid working relationship with the FIM. Um, we have our moments obviously, but, um, you know, by and large, we're all working towards the same aim, um, 
So we don't agree with everything they say, uh, if I'm being brutally honest, um, <laughs> just like McLaren and Ferrari and others wouldn't agree with everything the FAA um, delivers in terms of decision-making. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the nature of the beast, I guess. And what, what are you hoping for with a return? I'm not going to ask you a date because that's a ludicrous question because there's too, too much water still to pass under the bridge. But what are you hoping for? Are you hoping for... Uh, a weekly show or a fortnightly show as you'd normally put on or are you even thinking you're going to have to go into uh, midweek racing as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Craig, every option's on the table right now, whether that's, um, you know, uh, back-to-back events at the same venue, whether that's closed doors, um, whether that's, um, uh, you know, moving the entire team to one city and, 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 uh, you know, peeling off a number of events over, um, a number of weeks, including midweek and, and Saturday evenings. Um, I think there are so many unknowns right now that we just don't know what, um, the calendar looks like and what the event looks like. Um, at the moment we've got a stake in the ground for August the 8th, um, for, um, for Warsaw um, as a potential start point, um, that's probably best case scenario. You know, we've we've issued the revised calendar around Speedway Nations, which um, you know extends to uh, to September, October. Um, but you know, who's to say that there might not be a sudden second wave in in one of those countries that we're planning to visit? The regulations um, and the directives laid down by the local health authorities may change. Uh, transport restrictions might be lifted in one country, but clamped down in another. Um, uh, it's just too difficult to say. I mean, I think, as I said before, our objective is to go racing, um, uh, but only when it's when it's right and proper to do so. But um, um, to not have that as our key objective, I think, would be um, wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing our job. Cameron, um, you mentioned earlier in the interview about expansion. Now, um, the, the Grand Prix season uh, is average 10, 11 rounds. Uh, if you wanted to expand that, what would be the maximum number of rounds with the expansion program you would take it to? I think it pretty much depends on um, uh, geography, Dennis. So we've touched on already um the challenges associated with moving the show from europe to australia for example um same would apply for um moving to um moving to the americas um if we were to introduce events that sit outside of of europe um logistics and transport and movement of people um, irrespective of COVID-19, um, are big decisions that we'd have to make. So if we were to look to extend, um, I mean, the logical thing to do would be to follow the, the path of Formula One and um, add races at the start of the end of the season, which are in geographic locations outside of Europe um, for all manner of reasons. But um, hard to say what number you'd, you would put on it. Um, I, I, it depends on a lot of things. You know, uh, would the riders be um, given the amount of um, club racing and team racing they do? 
uh, along with their international commitments, would they prepared, be prepared to do another three, four um, international events? Um, you know, it's, it impacts on families, it impacts on, uh, on everybody that's involved in the sport. So, yeah, I, I can't really give you an answer in terms of, you know, what's the optimum number that we would expand to, but um, suffice to say there is room for expansion, I think. And um, if all those considerations were taken into a part, into account and it was right to add three rounds, then we would add three rounds, I guess. I'm not being critical. I'm just making a comment here what I wanted to mention to you. But the, the way the Grand Prix scoring has gone in past years, uh, not necessarily the highest point scorer at the meeting actually wins the Grand Prix because it all gets down to an A final. So I see now the, the point scoring has been adjusted and I know from feedback by fans, they like to see whatever the contest, the top point scorer, the winner of the event, so to speak. Um, so what what is your take on that in past years when when someone might win the A final, but they're, they're only third highest in the actual points for the meeting. Yeah, it's a challenging one. And I think everybody um, has their own view on uh, what the structure should be, whether it should be winner of A, uh, a final or whether it should be top point scorer. Um, I don't think there's a definitive um, formula for it right now. I, I think the way it's structured, works um people recognize that um if you're going to an a final and um uh, and you have a winner of that a final um that that rider is um you know grafted hard to get there and therefore deserves um the laurels on on the night but i also see the counter argument as well to to the top point scorer um being quotes winner of uh, of the night so yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, I think the the model we have at the moment works, um, but that's not to say that you know we might not change that going forward um, if there's a better model that that emerges. It wasn't the obvious, that answers. You. It wasn't that long ago that the winner of the final actually got six points for that win. The final was double points, so just qualifying for the final if you finished in the top three you would get double the points you'd normally get for a, a heat ride or a, a semi-final, and you went away yeah. from that. Yeah, well, I think um, that model you outlined is probably, certainly from a personal perspective, I, I think that's probably the model um, that I prefer most. Um, but in, in uh, regulatory decisions, it's not, always the IMGs of this world that are making the, those decisions. It's, uh, it's um, input from riders and obviously uh, FIM governing body, etc. So we don't have custody of, of every single rule that applies. So um, I do prefer the model you outlined, if I'm being brutally honest with you. Um, and maybe that'll come back. It sounds like you have to lobby for it to come back. You can't just arbitrarily uh, uh, ordain it. No, that's true. Um, there are some regulations that we have um, more influence on than others. Um, and, uh, yeah, we would have to lobby if we felt strongly about a particular regulatory element of, uh, of the event um, that we didn't have control over. 
tell me, Cameron, um, does the host city and the host broadcaster, does the IMG allow live coverage into that city or is it on a delayed basis? There's a reason I ask that question, but just first tell me your answer. Yeah, what was the reason you asked it? <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you for why. Going back to October 2002, um, yeah. there was a, a, an alleged agreement that it was going to be a delayed broadcast in the city, but it was actually live. Now, uh, I'm not here to say who was right or who was wrong. I'm only saying alleged. But from that, it deteriorated the number of people who went to the Sydney Olympic Stadium because everyone stayed at home and watched the uh, live coverage and had a barbecue in their backyard, you know. Um, so that's why I asked the question, what's the rule now? Is it live coverage into the host city or on a delayed basis? It depends largely on the um, the relationship with the, with the uh, host broadcaster in each region. Um, and Speedway is no different to other sports. So by and large, if there is a... Um, a live broadcast deal in place with the regional broadcaster, then um, the event is, is shown live. If there is um, no deal in place, then it's um, then it's not shown live. Um, so uh, it really comes down to what broadcast agreements um, are in place. Um, you know, the other challenge we have right now, uh, well, it's a challenge and an opportunity, I guess, is that, you know, social media now plays a huge role in um, uh, in coverage and audience engagement in sport, and, and we're no different. So um, in the case of uh, Rallycross and Speedway, we live stream as much content as we possibly can. Um, in the hope that we can reach as many people as we can. But in some territories where we have a host broadcast deal in place, um, those streams are geo-blocked um, and often causes consternation among fans in that area that uh, maybe don't have a pay, a pay TV deal. But um, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's the nature of the beast in terms of um, uh, broadcast uh, in general. So we we spend a lot of time and energy and resources on uh, on our live streaming um, and we try and reach as many people as possible, in, particularly in those areas that don't have live broadcast deals so we can actually bring live coverage into their living rooms or their or their kitchens or their, or their patios. Um, you know, I think it's in our interest to engage as many people as possible. Um, but certainly... The advent of social media has has changed the game a lot um, in the broadcast world. The qualifying caused a lot of angst for a number of riders and some high-profile English riders perhaps were uh, uh, very outspoken about moving to the Friday night qualifying sessions. Is that something you're going to continue on with? Um, we are for the moment, but it's, um, you know, it's under discussion. We, we, we did listen. Um, you're right. There was some, um, objection to it. Um, we've taken it on board, uh, and we are continuing discussions, uh, with those, um, with those guys and all those groups, um, that are involved in, um, uh, in those decisions. 
Was that an opportunity, though, that you were live streaming that qualifying? Uh, yes, it probably was. But uh, like I said, it's um, in, it's not unilateral in terms of um, we, we, if we live stream from a particular event that, it's, uh, that it automatically follows that it's available to everybody in every country. Uh, it really depends on what the broadcast agreement is in, in those territories. Mm. Well, Cameron, it's been fantastic to catch up with you here on Inside Speedway. There's plenty more we want to talk to you about. And if we've got time, we'd certainly like to talk about your career because it's been a fascinating one. Um, but we'll wrap this one up for Inside Speedway now. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Craig. And, and thanks, Dennis. And um, hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks very much, Cameron. Great to talk to you. And Dennis, uh, fantastic at that time with Cameron Kelleher. And I should mention that in upcoming weeks on Inside Motorsport, we have a, a very fascinating chat with him as well on the rest of his motorsport career and, in fact, his journalism career and uh, even ocean racing is discussed so that's one to look forward to on our sister program inside motorsport very interesting man to talk to craig um, covered a lot of territory um, I, I found it very interesting uh, his views on australia and what needs to be done to get the grand prix back here and um, I, I think that um, that's a pointer as to maybe in the past why uh, there's been some problems and getting it on a continual basis but overall uh, a wonderful man to chat with and, and his versatility in motorsport and what he's done and the number of hats that he does wear um, certainly covered um, great uh, information as far as not only the Speedway Grand Prix but what he does from nine to five every day. Well, we're going to return back home next week on Inside Speedway where we'll look a bit more in and around Australia as we've been uh, certainly over looking at the world picture with uh, the Speedway Grand Prix this weekend. Dennis, always a pleasure to catch up with you here on the show. Yeah, likewise, Craig. Thank you very, very much. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.